This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. Sure, there's the bat flipping. Swung on and blasted a deep left. Bat flip from Mark Canna, and out it goes. And the versatility. Breaking ball lifted toward left center field, in the gap, toward the wall, and it is caught on the run by Canna. Unbelievable. Came out of nowhere on the warning track and flags <laughs> it down at the 388 side. Unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> and even the quirkiness of the ski mask in the middle of summer. But what about the man, the player who emerged from a crowded collegiate powerhouse, the player who survived the Rule 5 draft, the player who found his way onto a roster when it looked like there wasn't any space? How does a player emerge to become Mark Canna and become a critical part of the A's success? Join us as we detail Mark's journey on the path. San Jose is the largest city in the Bay Area and home to some of the biggest tech companies in the world. San Jose is also home to the NHL's Sharks and the MLS's Earthquakes. San Jose is also home to one of the best stories in Major League Baseball from 2019, Mark Canna. As a child, Mark had a normal childhood, but always had a love for sports. From football... When we moved to this house when he was about 18 months old, so at about a year old even in the old house, He used to love watching the 49ers and Joe Montana. He would recognize Joe Montana on TV all the time. And Joe Montana, Joe Montana. I think after we moved here, we started going to, you know, a church over close to here. And we were sitting in the back. My parents were there. And back in the back, here's a statue of uh, Jesus, Sacred Heart of Jesus statue. He's standing there with his arms uplifted, and Mark points to the statue and says, oh, look, touchdown, touchdown. It's a basketball. I remember he got a play school basketball hoop with the little breakaway uh, hoop, and he just loved to play basketball on the thing. He was dunking that ball and playing like crazy. We came home one day, and the nanny said, David, you know, I always put on Sesame Street in the morning because that's what you want him to watch. But after that, he wants to watch basketball. He goes, there's no basketball games on during the day. So I used to tape on Tuesdays three college games on VHS tape so she could plug a tape in and watch. He could play basketball while watching it on TV. But baseball and hockey were Mark's favorite sports growing up. As a grammar school child, he loved ice hockey. And he played ice hockey for, you know, probably since he was five through maybe eight or nine. And then, um, and he also loved um, baseball, obviously. Hockey was a pretty serious thing for me just because it was a, you know, a club travel sport. So 
you know, that was the one that it took a lot of time and, and a lot of, um, you know, travel and, and stuff like that. So that was kind of a serious deal. And Willow Glen Little League, it's just, I just have really fond memories of like Saturdays at the field. You know, we'd play a game and then after the game, me and all my friends and, you know, a lot, a bunch of kids from the Little League would just hang out. You know, it wasn't like people were just leaving. It was, uh, you'd hang out at the field with everyone and, you know, the kids would make runs to the snack shack and watch the games or, or we'd go play capture the flag in the park. Um, it was a really great park and, you know, it was, it was just a really good, um, tight knit community that was, uh, fun to be a part of. Mark had a lot of different athletes in the Bay area to idolize, but three stood out in baseball. It was Barry Bonds. There's a high drive deep in the right center field to the big part of the ballpark. Number 71. In, uh, hockey, it was definitely Owen Nolan from the red line shot. Star! Owen Nolan from center ice deflects it off of the body of Roman Turek. The Sharks lead it two to nothing. And then in football, I love Jerry Rice. And a play fake. Young goes deep middle. He's got Jerry Rice. Touchdown 49ers! During his youth and early teenage years, Mark had a lot of friends and was a part of many teams. But during his youth, he met someone who ended up becoming a major part of his life to this day. His wife, Marcy. We first met at a... St. Francis Cabrini Middle School dance. We both went to private Catholic middle schools, and so the Archdiocese in San Jose, we grew up in San Jose, used to organize, um, like every school would have a dance. I think maybe it was once a month, schools, different schools would rotate, so I guess they wanted to, you know, get kids from different schools to to mingle with each other. And I just very clearly, St. Francis Cabrini is like one of the schools that used to have like a really cool festival and then they would have a dance at night. And the festival was awesome and I'm pretty sure the dance like was terrible that that one year. Me and a friend spent the night talking to one of the chaperones who eventually encouraged us to go and ask a boy to dance. And so we ventured out into the dance floor and I like picked Mark out of a sea of, you know, middle school dudes. And I the end of the night we exchanged screen names you know it was like 2000 gosh i don't know it was 2001 maybe um we were in seventh grade and i don't think we had cell phones at the time and i think the only other i think what was cool with the kids was basically aim and so we we exchanged screen names and the rest is history <laughs> with the skates and basketball hoops in the past Mark started to focus more on baseball and football and carried on the family tradition of going to Bellarmine Prep in San Jose. My father um, went to Bellarmine, and um, Mark, you know, my, my father died when Mark was probably five or six, but he remembered me telling him that. And I think he wanted to follow in his grandfather's footsteps. Bellarmine Prep produced 14 league players from Eric Thames, Kevin Franzen, and A's assistant GM, Billy Owens. Mark knew the lineage of star power that played before him. Mark had a good freshman year on the diamond, and then during his sophomore year, he made the varsity team and led the squad in hitting at 384 as the team went 35-5 and as he was named sophomore of the year by the San Jose Mercury News. Mark's high school coach, Gary Cunningham, recalls one of Mark's best plays at Bellarmine. You know, I remember uh, uh, one game, um, it was the 
I think it was the bottom of the sixth inning. He's in right field, and there's a bases loaded, two outs, base hit to, to right to him, and he picks it up on two hops and throws to first base to force the guy out when the winning run would have scored uh, from second on, on that play. Mark had a solid junior year and reflected on his favorite moment from that season. We won CCS, and that was pretty cool. Um, and we won, it was like, I believe the game went into extra innings, the championship game, um, and I scored the winning run on a first and third running, first and third play from third base. I scored the, the game winning run. So it was, uh, that was a fun time. Just at that time, it was, at, the game was played at, um, San Jose Municipal Stadium, which is where the San Jose Giants still play, if I'm not mistaken. So it was a, a, you know, a stadium I grew up going to watch minor league baseball games at. And you played hockey, stone throw away at the ice center there. And, uh, yeah, the win CCS there was, was a pretty spe- special moment. His senior year was his finest. Mark hit 427 with 11 home runs, 32 runs batted in, and a 566 on-base percentage. Gary Cunningham reflected on Mark's senior year. He was uh, um, our team captain his senior year. He was MVP of our team his senior year. He was uh, the league we play in, the West Catholic Athletic League, very strong baseball-wise, extremely strong, one of the strongest leads, leagues baseball-wise in, uh, in, in the United States. And, and he was MVP of the uh, WCAL, the West Catholic Athletic League. So he, you know, he... He took that role, that leadership role, and uh, and led through example. The the way he played the game, the way he respected the game, respected his opponents. You know what you want in a team leader. You don't want somebody who's, you know, out there uh, arguing and yelling and holding his holding his hands up in the air every time there's a strike called on him, or uh, you know, going bonkers in the dugout. You you want you know he was he was the ultimate. The, the ultimate, you know, sort of definition of a, of a team captain, a team leader that, that the people looked up to. The worst thing to happen to Mark during his years at Bellarmine came at the expense of rapper 50 Cent and Candy Shop, as Marcy explains. I invited him, I think it was a Sadie Hawkins dance. Uh, 50 Cent was really hot at the time. And I'm pretty sure that we were dancing to Candy Shop. But, like, we've always been, I feel like Mark and I always talk about how lucky our parents got. Because we we've always been pretty, you know... Pretty good kids, especially, you know, because we saw, I feel like in Catholic schools, you tend to see some other crazier. You're like, man, there's some crazy kids out there that I now realize that I was, you know, kind of a good, like a goody goody. Um, but Candy Shop was playing, and I'm pretty sure, it, you know, one of the whatever teacher chaperones that was there didn't think we were dan- we were leaving enough room for the Holy Spirit, they would call it, I guess. Um, and we got kicked out of the dance, and I got detention for it. As his career at Bellarmine Prep came to an end, Mark was interested in several colleges down south, and his father, David, decided on a family visit. We were down in Palm Springs for a vacation, so during that time, I made appointments with uh, the coaches at USC and at UCLA. So we went, we went to, I guess we went to USC first and they were having a camp that week. So the coach met with us and it was an interesting meeting. The guy was, you know, happy to meet Mark and I handed him the video. I said, it's just, you know, like three minutes of highlights. Oh, perfect. You know, people bringing game tapes and think we have time to watch that stuff. But he was pretty honest with Mark and said, look, Mark, I, I take it that you're going to want some scholarship money. He goes, my guy's 
that play your positions aren't aren't going to get drafted, so they'll be here for a couple of years. And I don't have scholarship money, so unless you were to tell me that you're, you know, you have a dying desire to be a Trojan, I I don't think it's going to work for us. But good luck, you know. Oh, okay. Mark was like, okay, whatever. And then UCLA, I, they, that was a good thing. There were about four kids that day that and we gave us a tour and they showed us the whole thing. I thought they were more interested than, than they turned out to be. Mark recalled the recruiting process and why he ultimately chose to play at Cal. I had my options open, but it was all California schools. Those were options. They, none of those schools offered me anything in terms of a scholarship. I kind of, it was my dream my whole life to go to Stanford, actually. And uh, the Stanford coaches at the time didn't didn't really show any interest in recruiting me. So, and then there was Cal, who was kind of like really interested, and and it was kind of a, a you know it wasn't really a decision to be made because I think my two offers that I had out of high school were UC Santa Barbara and Cal, and and between the two, I think um, Cal being the academic institution that it is was just. Uh, a little more appealing for me and my family. Mark's college coach, David Esker, reflected on what he liked about Mark coming out of Bellarmine. Well, you know, he kind of fit our profile. You know, he, he, he was going to be a physical player. Um, you know, he ran and had, some, and had some strength with the bat, which we liked. Uh, he was local. And, uh, you know, for us a little bit, you know, at, at Cal during my years, we really, had to, we really had to pay attention to the development and potential and just someone that we felt like, um, you know, someone we do well with. And we felt like he, he had the things that we do well with and the fact that he was an, a, an aggressive player, uh, a good offensive player, and good all-around player in high school. But, but one, we thought that we could really, you know, use what we do well in developing hitters and then help him, help him be a really good player. Mark's collegiate career began on February 23rd, 2008 against Utah Valley. Mark had one plate appearance and went 0-for-1 with a strikeout. Mark finished his freshman season hitting 270 in 35 games with six runs batted in and two doubles as the Bears finished the season 33-20-2. His sophomore campaign was even stronger as Mark led the Bears in hitting at 366 with 12 homers and 43 RBIs, also 17 doubles in 53 games that season. His sophomore campaign was even stronger as Mark led the Bears in hitting at 366 with 12 homers, 43 RBIs, and 17 doubles in 53 games that year. Mark earned the Clint Evans Award as the team's most valuable hitter, the Robert A. Roos Award as the team's top hitter, and earned all Pac-10 honors as well. The Bears had a down year going 24-29, and but Mark recalled his favorite moment that season versus the team he always wanted to play for, Stanford. I remember one game sticks out sticks out in my mind. I hit a three-run homer off of um, the great at bat. I took to a full count off of Drew Storen, who turned out to be a pretty good big league reliever. So it was my first year playing and getting regular playing time, and I hit a three-run homer off Stanford, you know off of Stanford on a Tuesday, which was pretty pretty sweet. You know, I always had a little extra motivation to to beat those guys just because they didn't recruit me and that was the school I wanted to go to so I just wanted to beat them and uh, we won that game and I hit a I, I had a great at bat and hit a 3-2 slider just a bomb to left field. Mark's final year at Cal was his junior season. During that campaign he hit 317, hit 10 homers, also drove in 69 runs and played 54 games 
as the Bears went 29-25. and Mark's final game with the Bears was on June 5, 2010, against Oral Roberts, in which Cal lost 9-8 and were eliminated at the NCAA Regionals. The following season, the Bears reached the College World Series for the first time in 19 years, and Coach David Esker reached out to Mark to thank him even after his time with the program was over. We were driving into Omaha. We got to the World Series the year after uh, Mark left, and our bus was, was pulling into the, the stadium, I uh, had the I had the bus drive directly to the stadium from the airport. I wanted the guys to see it, and I remember as we were driving at the stadium, the first peak of the stadium. I remember I was texting Mark at that moment, and I says, "Hey, Mark, we are we're we're driving into TG Ameritrade Park, and I just want you to know that we are here on the shoulders of what you did for our program, and you need to know that um, because he had set us up for success and and laid a fa- helped lay a foundation." Um, along with other, with other players, but he was a big part of it. Laid a foundation that allowed us to take that next be- biggest leap and get to the College World Series. Yeah, it means a lot. I mean, to, for him to feel that way, to think that I had an impact on a team that that I wasn't even, you know, a part of, really. I'm in pro ball at that time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do like to think that I kind of tried to – to change the culture there a little bit while I was there because it was a lot different. Uh, the culture of the team was just a lot different from when I started at Cal to when I finished. And I think I like, I like to think that I've kind of left my mark on it. So that was, um, that was special. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much I agree with that statement. Those guys went out and they did it themselves and, and they were, it was a special team, but um, you know, those guys, uh, it was it was awesome, I mean, and you know it speaks a lot to the relationship that me and Dave Esker had too. Over his three years with the program, people started to notice Mark more and more, and that the dream of playing Major League Baseball became a reality. I think it was one of those things that kept growing, right? I think I think after his modest freshman year, uh, his sophomore year opened some eyes, and then his junior year really started to open some eyes. And John Hughes, who has you know great, great ties to the Cal baseball program and comes out to a lot of practices, really got a chance to really appreciate the type of player he was as often as he got a chance to see him play. At the time, John Hughes was a scout for the Florida Marlins and was the Bears pitching coach in the 80s. The one thing I remember is, is that when he came in as a freshman, there was, there was, two, <laughs> there was two things that, that attracted me to him initially. One, he, he was a Cal guy. And me being a former Cal coach and played there and, you know, I, and I'm very involved with what's going on with the program, but he was, he was a Cal guy. The other thing was, is he was a redhead. And, uh, before mine turned gray, I used to be a redhead. So that was the initial, initial thing that made me like him some, but I, I just remember when I saw him in that fall of his freshman year, that the ball came off of his bat differently and it had a different sound to it, and the ball team seemed to jump, and I just, I was always intrigued by exactly at that point in time where he was going to go and how much better he was going to get and what kind of player he was going to become. I would say the one game that I remember is is that they were playing, uh, they were playing Stanford, and I want to say Drew Storen was pitching for Stanford, who was ultimately ended up being a first rounder, and. Mark hit a hit a home run off of him that he just absolutely crushed. It was just first pitch, boom, and 
here we go. And uh, it was, you know, I always felt that, you know, he had some power, but on that particular at bat against the premium pitcher, I mean, he just squared him up and, you know, shot it up on the roof there at Cal. With the draft starting two days after Mark's final game with the Bears, he knew he had a chance of getting drafted high and laid out his plan for the draft. I heard from the Cleveland Indians in the fourth round, and I had told all the scouts, we had meetings during my junior year where they would let us talk to scouts, and I was I was really honest and clear and, and upfront with all of them and that I had said that I wouldn't uh, sign past the the third round because I believed that I was a caliber player. I was should go in the top three rounds and, or, you know, if not get drafted in the top three rounds, get paid like a third rounder would. And Cleveland called me in the fourth round. I remember and said, and same with the Mets, they called me late in the fourth round and said, oh, okay, we'd like to draft you in the fourth round. Would you sign for slot value, which just means, would you sign for like a fourth round amount of money? And I said, no, I mean, I just said, you know, I told you guys what I expect and, and the, the God's honest truth is no, I'm I'm not veering from what I told you guys, you know, a couple months ago. So six rounds of the MLB draft went by and Mark still wasn't selected and he was losing hope when the Florida Marlins made the call the seventh round with the 227th pick. Mark recalled what happened prior to being selected. Yeah, I actually stopped watching the draft. Like, I stopped following it on the internet because I was just, I assumed I, that was it, that I wasn't getting drafted at that point. So I left. I left me and my girlfriend, who's my wife now, left. I was in my house in San Francisco with her, and we left and went to San Francisco for the day. <laughs> just a few days after being selected by the Marlins, Mark was now a professional baseball player. And it meant Mark had to do something he had never done, move away from the Bay Area. I was excited. When you sign and you get the deal done, and it was really exciting, honestly. I was just happy to get drafted and happy to have a deal done and happy to have some money now. So I didn't really think about what that all entailed and realize what it all entailed. But And it was kind of a rude awakening. It was difficult at times, but I'm... Don't mind being away from home. Yeah, I mean, we were all excited. I mean, we went to see him, and we went to a lot of a few of the games. But, um, yeah, it was exciting and, and nerve-wracking, too, at the same time. You know, because you always want the best for your, your kids, and you want them to do well. And, you know, this was a big major stepping stone to his, you know, life as a pro. He began his playing career for the Marlins rookie team in the Gulf Coast League and then the Jamestown Jammers in the New York Penn League for a short season A ball. Mark played 20 total games, hitting 243 with four homers and 10 RBIs, primarily playing first base. Mark spent most of his time playing right field for the Bears, and John Hughes explains why the Marlins wanted him at first. He played right field at Cal, and, and I think he, he probably spent some time at first base. So Mark was, in my opinion, was a very good outfielder. But with us, he was at first base for the most part. And like in his first year, first short season, I think they put him at first base. And then his first uh, full season, he was at first base. And then they started trying to work him out at third base. And and I remember having a conversation with uh, uh, one of my buddies over there that was involved with the, you know, uh, 
the minor league system. And I, I said, why are you guys pigeonholing him into the infield? I said, he's a good outfielder. And of course the answer was, is, well, we're pretty impacted in the outfield right now. Cause we got, you know, Yelich and Stanton and Osuna. And I think, I think Jake Marisnik was with us at that point. They just, they felt that the place that they had to find, get him to find was play another position. A year later, Mark spent the season with the Greensboro Grasshoppers of Low A and hit 276 with 25 home runs and 86 RBIs in 107 games. That year, Mark played with several future major leaguers in Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, and JT Real Muto as the Grasshoppers won the Sally League. And that was pretty amazing. And it was like in miraculous fashion. It went to five games, which is the, the maximum number of games. It was just a, yeah, it was an incredible season with an incredible group of just talent. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And just playing with those guys. And, you know, at the time, I was one of the guys on the team. I was one of the best players on the team. You know, with got first-rounder Christian Yelich, highly touted Marcel Ozuna and, and JT Real Muto. And being being amongst those guys and being like, okay, I'm now I'm in the – in pro ball and I'm good, you know, I'm a good player on my team. It it was a good, um, it was kind of fun just watching, watching myself and watching me kind of stand next to those guys and and hold my own against those guys was, was pretty cool. Mark's third season of pro ball was in Jupiter, Florida, playing for the high A hammerheads in which he hit 293 with six homers and 68 RBIs. That was in 114 games. Year four, Mark spent playing double-A for the Jacksonville Suns as he hit 273 with 13 homers and 58 RBIs. He was second in home runs and first in RBIs on a team that featured other future MLB stars. The following season in triple-A, Mark played for the New Orleans Zephyrs and he hit 303, 20 home runs, and 82 runs batted in. Mark again finished second in home runs and second in RBIs, but did not receive a call to the show. 2015 was going to be a make-or-break year for Mark as he was entering his sixth year of pro ball with no indication if he would be on the Marlins roster. But on December 11, 2014, Mark was subject to baseball's Rule 5 draft and was selected by the Colorado Rockies and then traded to the A's in a prearranged deal. It was, it was really amazing. We were living in our apartment in New Orleans at the time, my wife and I. And, yeah, we we had like set our alarm so that we could wake up and, and follow the rule five draft. And somehow we slept through the alarm and I was just getting phone and I got a phone call from David force. He's like, Hey Mark, it's David from the Oakland A's and, and we just got you. And, and we were just kind of, it was right after we were just kind of finding out that like, Oh, I got drafted by the Rockies. Awesome. And, and then I was like, Oh, so I kind of asked David, I was like, what, what's going on, David? Like, I, can you fill me in a little bit here? Just, and he explained it. It was like prearranged the whole, the whole, uh, it was a prearranged situation that the eighties had arranged to, to trade somebody for, for that, for the Rockies to select me and then send them over to the A's. So it was pretty cool. My wife, you know, it, it felt like it was a, a shot of life into my career and, and uh, my wife was like jumping up and down on the bed at the time because we, we were sitting there like kind of upset and my career had felt like it was ending too early. And, uh, but, but it, it felt like it was nice just to, to have someone 
show a little faith in me. Mark's father, David, was ecstatic knowing his son would be playing right up 880. It was awesome. I mean, here he was right up the road. We could we could be there in 45 minutes, and, and we, could, we could check Twitter at 4 o'clock when they posted the lineup and decide whether to go to the game or not. Mark was finally going to live his dream being a major leaguer and playing for a team where he grew up. But before he was selected in the Rule 5 draft, Mark had other plans if it didn't work out. Yeah, I was really... Um... I was kind of in a in a frame of mind it was just despair at that point um and I had kind of accepted you know I was willing to walk away from the game just because I could feel when you're in an organization for I was in there the Marlins organization for 4 years before that rule 5 happened I feel like I had a pretty good feel about where I stood in the organization and how certain people felt about me. And, and I think that there was a lot of people that were in that war room with the Marlins that, that didn't have my back and that didn't really, weren't really pulling for me. And so I kind of felt like I, I, my time there had just kind of fizzled out and I was kind of stuck um, despite playing well. So you know, I told my agents at the time, I said, guys, you got to, you got, I don't know how you do this, but you got to make something happen with this rule five draft and get me out of here because, and I told them, I said, it's over. If, if nothing happens for me in this rule five draft, it's going to be over because I can't, there's, I'm not going to waste, I'm not going to be a career minor leaguer. This isn't what I signed up for. You know, I made it, I wanted to, I'm a big leaguer. I'm not a minor leaguer. So if I'm not going to be in the big leagues, then I'm out of here. Mark's wife, Marcy, also explained the family's mindset ahead of the draft. I was like, you know, I support whatever decision you, you know, feel like is right for you. Obviously, you know, the the telltale signs of everything point to maybe, you know, this isn't going to pan out. And if it doesn't, and if you're comfortable, you know, you feel like you, you gave it your all and you're this is the right time for you to walk away. On April 8th, 2015, Mark made his major league debut with the Oakland A's and was ready for his opportunity. Canna swings and drives one out toward right center field. Going back is Martin. Still going back. It's at the wall. It's off the top of the wall. Bounces back into play. That'll clear the bases. Is even Billy Butler's chugging all the way around from first. Off the top of the wall in right center. A three-run double, and Mark Canna makes it 5 to nothing, Oakland. A swing and a fly ball deep down the line and left. Rua giving chase to the track at the wall, and it is in play. It's in the corner. Rua can't find it. In the score is Zobrist. Butler up to third base and in the second with an RBI double is Mark Canna. He's doubled twice. He is singled. He's three for four, and he's got four RBIs on a night that he makes his major league debut. It was it was strange because the big leagues always had felt like something that was unattainable for me, and then the next thing I know, I'm there, and I I thought I would be like super nervous and super, but actually I was like super like focused and just calm, and it, it kind of had felt like I I don't know where it came from because usually I do get nervous in situations like that, but I just kind of had this this feeling like I was a man on a mission and I somehow got into this zone that I can't explain and I and I actually started off my 
big league career really well and started off hot, which is kind of crazy. In that first game, he went three for five with two doubles and four runs batted in, joining Ben Grieve as the only players in A's history since 1914 to have four or more runs batted in in their major league debut. On April 10th, Mark hit his first big league home run. And a fastball hit high and deep to left field. Mark Canna has connected, and it leaves the ballpark. Mark Canna's magical first week continues. He's got a home run and six RBIs. What a find he has proven to be early for the Athletics through the Rule 5 draft. Mark finished his rookie season hitting 254 with 16 homers and drove in 70 runs while playing 124 games. Mark's sophomore season was derailed by a year-ending hip injury after appearing in only 16 games in 2016. The following season, Mark appeared in 57 games, hitting only 208 with five homers and 14 runs batted in, where he spent time between AAA Nashville and the Bigs in Oakland. Mark had a bounce back in 2018, hitting 249 with 17 home runs and 52 RBIs in 122 games, but it was something Mark did on May 2nd that began to define him. I think it was 2018, I hit a home run, a go-ahead home run off of Edwin Diaz in the ninth inning in Seattle. Canna's two for three. Here's the pitch by Diaz. And a deep drive to left. Ichiro back at the track. He will watch, and the A's have taken the lead. Mark Canna delivers a leadoff home run in the ninth off Edwin Diaz, and the A's lead 3-2. After my rookie year, I got hurt, and then I kind of, in 17, I had a year where I was up and down. So I, I kind of had to fight my way the past few years back into relevancy in the baseball world. I've kind of always had this chip on my shoulder of trying to get back into playing regularly and, and showing, you know, pr- kind of proving myself to the front office and the team and to my teammates. And, you know, I just kind of had this attitude about me and it, and I hit that homer off Diaz and I flipped my bat and, and I was, you know, I feel like it's mainly like it started off as a thing where it was like, I'm here, look at me kind of thing. Don't forget about me. But sometimes it, I just feel like I do it just to, just because you're like, you know, oh, he's a bath flipping guy. So I got to, I feel like I got to give the people what they want to some extent. Mark Canna became known as the bat flipping guy. And later in 2018 versus the Giants, he did it again. And here's the 3 2. Swung on and hammered to deep left. Mark Canna knows. Out it goes into the night. Off the bench for Mark Canna. And the A's are in front 4 to 3 on a mammoth home run against Tony Watson. It was worth admiring. Mark took a look. He looked at his dugout. He enjoys the jog around the bases. Canna originally apologized for the bat flip but then took it back. People getting offended by bat flips is so silly. It's just like, I'm, you know, I'm not sorry. I'm not really sorry. Um, You know, it's part of our game. Everybody does it. Um, If if somebody's going to throw at me because of it, I've got, I got thrown at in the past this season for bat flipping. Uh, I clearly didn't learn my lesson. So, you know, if you're offended by that, I don't care. What started as a simple reaction became bat flipping season and continued for the rest of 2018 and into 2019 for Canna. 2019 was another breakout season. With injuries to several key players on the A's, Canna was asked to play several different positions, including center field. During the year, Canna set career highs. 
He played in 128 games. He hit 273 with 26 home runs, 58 runs batted in, and an OPS of 913. He continued to show he belongs. I'm always trying to prove myself, and but it's not. It's more about me and and my um, kind of drive and what I want for my career. And and on a day to day basis, I I kind of just you know we all we're all athletes, we're all competitive, and we want to we want to show our peers and ourselves that we're, we belong and we're not only do we belong, we're, we're a dude and that we're forced to be reckoned with. And, and, um, you know, my kind of goal each day is to try to like, I want to show everyone and myself that I'm the best player on the field. And that's kind of my attitude. And, and that is the way I try to go about my business and, and how my work goes. Every, everything is geared towards, being the best player you know I'm just trying to I'm, I'll, I always tell people I'm never gonna I'll retire when I'm the MVP and the World Series MVP and I'm basically proved to myself and everyone that I'm the best player in the world then I'll retire but until then I'm going to keep striving for that and until I reach that I won't stop trying to get better and I won't stop doing you know doing my thing following the 2019 season as a santa clara county native mark was honored as the major league player of the year along with jock peterson of the dodgers by the hot stove of santa clara county it's special and and that awards night was was awesome just because there's just so many people in the room that they watched you grow up and and watched your career kind of get started and you know i had little league coaches of mine were there and there was um obviously Gary Cunningham was there my high school coach Bill Hutton was the coach at Midi when I was at Bellarmine and he I grew up going to his um baseball camp at Midi baseball camp I would go to every summer with my friends um so he knew me really he knows me really well he lives in my neighborhood it's just it's awesome I mean it's a it's a cool event and a good, uh, really cool um, kind of platform. With all the success of being a major league player on the field, Mark suggests his biggest success and proudest accomplishment was becoming a father. Uh, I feel like I was, I say this a lot, like I was born to be a father. And uh, yeah, we, but by the time we had my first daughter, I was uh, more than ready. I had been ready to be a dad, and it, and it has been uh, the best thing ever. Mark's wife, Marcy, always knew fatherhood would come easy for Mark. After we got married, I feel like Mark was, Mark was ready to be a dad, like, immediately. He just is super kids. He's just, like, a really super gentle soul, and I feel like kids, you know, like recognize it in people and like kids are drawn to him. He's just like really good, has a good, real super good temperament for dealing with like children and babies. And he's just, obviously we waited till I was ready, but Mark was like, oh my gosh, I could have had kids like two years, you know, prior to us having our first. Um, And he never had a preference for, you know, having a boy or a girl. He just wanted to have you know, to start like that, like our family unit, basically, like, you know, growing, starting to grow family from just the two of us to having another one. And now that we're having, he was 
like, I mean, I, I obviously, I feel like now, you know, after, um, just a topic that's been kind of been talked around, it's being talked about a lot is just being kind of like a girl dad, you know, after Kobe's passing and everything. And it's just true what they say about the bond that a dad has with like their daughter. It's like, Marcus, like, so, I mean, he, I, obviously he's been like, so good to me for so many years. Um, I just like, I knew he would be like an amazing girl dad um, before we even knew that we were going to have a girl. And then finding out that we were going to have another one, he's just like over the moon. Like he doesn't, he's never once said, oh no, I wish, you know, let's try for a third and have a boy or anything. He's just like super happy. I feel like it's probably... I think he talks about, you know, the birth, the day our daughter was born is like the best day of his life. From childhood dreams of being the next San Jose Shark or San Francisco 49er to becoming a star at Cal and working his way up the minor leagues to reach the bigs with the A's, Mark Canna has shown through hard work, determination, family, and hope you can make your dreams a reality. His path through the majors was a difficult one. From not knowing if he'd make it to the show to becoming the player Bob Melvin can count on to play multiple positions. Mark has shown resilience, and A's fans get to see it on display every day. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.